Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, as always, Phil Branch, along with my regular co-host, the excellent James Rhodes from United Muppeteers. We're doing this podcast a little bit later this week. Um, I've been sick, and uh, so hopefully I can get through this okay. Um, how you doing, mate? Doing all right. I hope you're feeling better. I'm feeling it myself now, so uh, we'll, we'll get through it for the week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, been touching go all week. My life has been on the line. At least that's what I was telling the wife anyway. Exaggerating just a wee bit every time she walked around the corner. Just, just a little. Got the extra aches and the back pain. Yeah. Extra few coughs every time the dishes were in the sink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, nonetheless, um, I'm alive and kicking, thankfully. Um, but uh, Two, what is this? Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Just, uh, Copenhagen game, of course. Yep. Um, followed by the game, uh, by the, um, the game at the weekend, of course. United winning both games, uh, not spectacularly, ish, we should say, uh, but their wins nonetheless. Um, game last night, um, was probably more memorable for the Onana penalty save. Uh, and what yeah. also I think people forgot was he had a good save, not. Long, yeah, yeah, really good one. Yeah, that um was maybe key to him making the second save where he got a bit of confidence. Um, and then of course, uh, big Harry Maguire getting the goal. Um, that uh, if you could have picked two people from that game that you would have wanted, um, for that moment to happen to it, would yeah. have been both of them. Um, a lot of concerns, of course, we'll have to look at the first half was one of the worst games of football I've seen. I mean, probably since Von Hall, where 45 minutes of absolutely nothing happening. Yeah. Uh, that is a concern. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, it, 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 there's it's lots of questions about that, which we'll get into. Um, but um, I talked about some of the things that Paul Scholes said before the game, where you know, he was referring to when he had seen the under-19s against Copenhagen about the uh, decay throughout the football club across all levels, disappointing that they had lost that game 1-0. But first of all, what was your... Uh, actually, before we get into that, I do want to mention, since we've obviously recorded and forgot my bad on this, uh, Bobby Charlton has obviously passed away. And we got this news... Um, over the um, over the weekend, of course, and um, you know when you talk about the certain people that transcend their sport, transcend rival, and transcend their football club, um, Bobby Robson was one of them. Um, and when you, I, I was sitting reflecting on his late games, I was thinking about this, I was going, you know, this is a guy that was in the Munich crash in 1958. Um, the whole world would have forgiven him if he never wanted to play football again. Um, lost you know, a lot of his friends in that in that crash, you know, eight United players, and um, see Mister Sermat climbed off, you know, climbed out of their 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 hospital beds to win the European Cup ten years later. Which imagine that they, they to come over, they, they get over the psychological trauma by itself, but to rebuild the football club from the ashes ten years later to win the European Cup to put that into perspective. Abu Dhabi had been at Man City 14 years before they could buy one. You needed yep. to rebuild it in line with the same principles. In that time, he also won a World Cup. Um, and in many ways, there's a metaphor for life in that, in that sometimes when you're at the very bottom and you feel like you, you want to give up and the world would forgive you for giving up, the resilience to fight, 
to overcome even the biggest catastrophes in life. And you never know what's on the other side, what greatness lies ahead. Had Bobby, so Bobby have given up and not played football again, um, which a lot, like I said, a lot of people would have forgiven for. Um, and and really wallowed in that sadness, which again would have been forgivable. He would have lost out in the greatest moments of his life. Um, yep. So I think what he accomplished as a human being, as a footballer, you know, is is truly remarkable. It's uh, a, a United icon. And one of the other things about him was when I would see him talk about Manchester United, he couldn't fake the love. The love was so genuine and everything that he did. He was like a supporter after he gave up football. It's uh, listening to him talk about United in 99 and winning the league, everything was, you know, it really was, you sounded like one of, one of us. Um, absolute legend of the football club and very, very sad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's hard to disconnect Manchester United and its history from Sir Robbie Charlton, obviously. It's a, uh, you really can't. And uh, one of the, the biggest people in its history, forget players, but for everything. And uh, certainly a sad moment to to lose him, but obviously a, a lot of life to celebrate what he's done and what he did for himself and others and, and who he was. And, and obviously I think he'll be remembered for pretty much forever for all of that. Yeah, truly uh, someone that defends a football club and uh, will never be forgotten. Um, you know, of course, we also want to pay special mention to the Copenhagen fans that I thought were exceptional. Um, very, very respectful in their acknowledgement of Sabobi, um, which again showed that he transcended football. Um, and uh, I was actually, when this news broke, I was watching um, I was watching the Premier League at the weekend. I think it was the Aston Villa game, and it was it was on uh, Sky Sports Deutschland, Germany. I'm not saying how I got that. Um, but anyway, um, they broke off, of course, to talk about um you know so bobby dan and and um you know this is obviously going around the world where you know it was one of those moments that everyone stops and it was uh you know it was just an indication of what he you know what he meant uh to people outside of you know manchester united um like you said the copenhagen fans were brilliant last night you needed played uh fc copenhagen um as we mentioned on the way in you know Great to see Harry Maguire score a goal. Great to see um, Onana save a penalty. Both of those needed those moments. Um, you know, what I would say is what concerns me is I've watched United against Sheffield United. I've watched them against FC Copenhagen, two teams we United should be comfortably better in. And for probably 88 minutes of both those games, United weren't worth watching. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's it's it is concerning because you know Sheffield United is uh, Sheffield is, I think there were, I saw a chart last week before it and it was one of those ones where I see it and I'm like I wish I hadn't seen it because it's gonna you know it's one of those things you think well now we're destined to have a bad performance but uh, among the top five leagues they in terms of though the first team you know the first of the top five leagues I think they were by far worst in practically everything. Not just the Premier League, not just, you know, in England, but in, in the top five leagues, they were the worst. And United went in there and, and made them look like a really, really tough side to play against. Um, they were dominated for possession in the first half in, in many respects. Uh, they struggled to do really anything. And 
it is concerning because there's two ways to look at the way United are playing positively and negatively. Um, you can look at it and say, we're scraping results, but we're still getting them. And so the performances will improve. But my concern is, I think we've done that before. I think we went through those uh, those stretches with Jose Mourinho. We definitely went through those stretches with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It didn't result in something better at the other end of them. Um, most teams' path in terms of progression forward is they perform well, but may struggle to get results. But you see what's forming. You see what's happening. You see something building. And the results come second because sometimes it can just be down to finishing. Sometimes it could just be down to split-second decisions. But you see the system. You see the process. You see what's happening. And the results will catch up. It happened very much for Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool for a few years there, really building on their processes until the results kicked in and they were the only team that was able to keep up with Man City during that time. You saw it with Arsenal under Arteta where they had some really bad results for quite a while. But the performances, the system, the philosophy, the ideas were definitely starting to take shape. And then you saw the impact of it last year. Even this year to start the season, you saw Chelsea pretty much struggling to win any games, struggling to score any goals. But they were actually playing decent football. And now the results are starting to come. I'm concerned we're doing the opposite. And the results are more likely to fade based on how we're performing, then the performances are likely to improve. And, and I don't know why. I really don't. It's, it's hard to say why. Last year, I know we went away from some of Ten Hag's principles because we had to for personnel choices and things like that. But even in going away from them, there was something forming. You could see it at many points in the season, a style, a system, a pattern, a progression even when it fell off or when the result wasn't there or it didn't happen. This year, it's it has gone completely backwards in so many respects. Um, last, I know there's players missing, but some of that's by choice too. Last night, Eric Ten Hag had his, almost his first, you know, he had Amrabat, a player he wanted. Mount was on the bench with Erickson. Bruno's in the team. He had his first choice front three in Rashford, Hoyland, and Anthony. Um, you have Dallo, Varane, Maguire, who's in quite good form and, of course, came up with the goal. Uh, Regulon came back at left back. So, you know, it's not the perfect side, but it's it's close enough that you feel we should be seeing a lot more than what we're seeing from them. And uh, that's it's difficult. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to to grasp why um, as a, as a, just as a fan and as someone watching it. You know, if you look at the goal against Sheffield United, it's a piece of magic from Dallow that wins the game. United can't cut Sheffield United open from open play. Um, So predictable, slow, slow transition. And against teams of that level, once they get set, they're not going to give you space. You know, it's really easy to defend against that, to be honest. Um, so you have to really quicken your transitions. Uh, I do seem to remember Eric Ten Hag said he wanted United to be the best team in transition in the league. Um, 
which when I looked at United against Copenhagen, one of the things that surprised me was just the, the lack of desire. Like the first mm-hmm. half, do you, do, you, do you really want to win this? I mean, we're yeah. somebody turning around and injecting intensity into the game saying, you know, we're all sleepwalking here. Why does it have to go into halftime to Tarek Ten Hag to, you know, whatever he did at halftime? He did the same thing against Brantford where he took the midfielder off. He took Casemiro off against Brantford, put Ericsson in to get more football. Brings Amrabat off to get Ericsson in, I assume, to get more football. So my question is, why are you not getting that from your starting 11? Yeah. Why are you not getting more football from your starting 11? Why is Mason Mount being dropped the last two weeks? Um, you know, is it, is it Mason Mount or Scott McTominay? I don't know. It looks like it is. Scott McTominay obviously get, you know, came in and scored against, you know, uh, Bradford two late goals, scores against. Um, you know, United gives two penalties away in a row. I have to say that they thought the second one was very soft. Yeah. But, but again, I think you're asking for it, though, if, if it's going the other way at the but, same time, you know. What concerns me, James, is yeah. if you look at the Wolves game, you know, it almost did exactly the same. Right? Yeah. And yeah. You, you go to the Brighton game last season, you know, Shaw handles the ball in the box in the last minute. And this is happening all the time. You know, you look yeah. at the Arsenal game, right? They give a stupid, you know, freak corner away concede, right? Mm-hmm. You look at how many times you need to do this. You know, you look at the Galatasaray game, 2-1 up, you know, and decide to do the most unbelievable stuff this throw the game away, and you're going, how is this so prevalent at this club? Why is it where they always find a way to lose the game? They'll try, yeah. to, they'll try yeah. to throw it away. And that's how it right. A draw at home to FC Copenhagen is an appalling result. Is, is yep. uh, I mean... Oh, it would have been Europa League. If that penalty wasn't saved, that was it. We're in the Europa League. Yeah, We're going to be out of the group. I mean, I don't even know if it would be that because I could see now finishing bottom. Right? Yeah, well, true. Yeah. It could be worse. Yeah. So, so um, you know, that, that's, I mean, if you think about it, they still have to go their way to Copenhagen, go away and, to Galatasaray yeah. Right? Yeah. with Bayern at home. So I Maybe mean, get a draw at home against Bayern, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think – Bayern could do what they want at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I whatever, but we'll see what happens. But I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, maybe there'll be a response after the Brantford win. And I understand the emotional high will be lost because of the the um international the, 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 the international break. Then they get back, they win against Sheffield United. Okay, maybe we'll see a res- we'll see progress. Haven't seen it. And when they beat Forest three two dramatically, I'm like, okay, maybe that will start kicking on. Um, you know, they beat Burnley. Maybe I'll start kicking them on, but every single win has been so scrappy. 1-0, um, by, or by one goal, with the exception of Forest in the League Cup. And they're going, they just cannot get any momentum. They just cannot. They they, they never look better than they did the week before. They look yeah. in some in some cases they 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 look worse. And you're going, this is really concerning to me because I'm looking at this and I I don't see any pattern of play, any team play, anything that Okay, I can see they worked on that in the training ground of being implemented. I mean, if you look at what United were last season against Barcelona, I mean, they look like they got two hours notice to play these games. I'm not joking. Yeah. I mean, they look yeah. like, um, you know, that, that they, they just showed up through 11 players together and said, because they're doing the same thing, knock the ball away, put the ball in the box, knock the ball away, put the ball in the box, you know, hope the guy, the, and, and, and Rashford isn't scoring and we've got, a serious Anthony problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going, 
you know, I, I sort of feel for Hoyland a bit because he doesn't get the service that you would get from two typical wingers. But I'm going, you know, you can see why United don't score goals. Yeah, you can. And, and it is, it's odd. And, you know, part of what's concerning is, you know, I understand. I, I understand and I don't. You take the decision, like the decision with Scott McTominay. Um, we've watched Scott McTominay play football at Manchester United for a long time now, well before Eric Ten Hag. He's not a midfielder to the level that is requisite to play the way that Eric Ten Hag wants to play at all. Um, he doesn't have the qualities. He doesn't have the the type of, of play. And it's it's such an odd thing that you deal with in all of this because – you know, I understand he scores the two late goals against Brentford, but it's not as a midfielder. It's not a midfielder. And then you you end up in a tough situation where can you do you not start the guy who just scored a couple of goals for you? Except it's almost it's sort of funny because it's like you know you wouldn't put a striker who scored two late goals in the midfield just because he scored a couple of goals. You put him up top. And uh, and then we've seen in two two games since then that same problem uh, of of starting McTominay in the midfield, and it seems like it's it's a bit of desperation to just get a goal somehow from anywhere, you know, just get somebody to score a goal, right? Which I understand because we're not getting them from anybody else at the moment at all. Um, they're really struggling, but. It's hard. It's hard because we because at United you don't get so much time to work on the processes. And unfortunately, when you have a slow start to the season, the results catch up to you. We couldn't lose against Copenhagen. We couldn't. It was like as big a must-win game in the, as as we've had this season yet, right? And um, it feels that we're already reaching a point where they're they're so pressed for results that you start to just abandon a lot of the things that you should be working on through the whole season. Um, but I agree when I watch Barcelona then play against Barcelona last year, where's that team that was able to put that together, put those types of performances together. And the one thing I will say, I'm a big fan of this player. And I think a lot of people underestimate what a player like that brings to the table when you use them, even if they're not always a starter. But Manchester United have massively missed Fred this season with the injuries that have been in place and rotation. He was huge in the Barcelona games. Um, scored a goal, was a big part of chasing them down, of, of neutralizing their defense. There is nobody that has consistently played that brings the, no matter what, from minute one to 90, the passion the running, the effort, the energy, the intensity to drag the rest of the team along with them. And um, it's very strange that that is, you know, that, you know, he's over in, 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 uh, in Turkey where they won 17 out of 17 games. And whatever there may be, somehow that is missing from the team. And it seems like there's nobody else who's going to bring that to the table where they're just going to play they're just going to go for it from minute one to minute 90 and act like they care. And and it is, it's tiring. It's tiring. And it makes you feel very disconnected watching when it feels like they're disconnected, when the players have, have no interest in what they're doing. And it's, it's pervading the entire team. 
which is bizarre. It's it's really tough to see it. It's 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 not the same players from five years ago. It's not the same players from three years ago. It's everybody. What concerns me is this keeps happening. Yeah, you know, I I can remember this at numerous times over the last six seven years where I felt like I'm watching players that are completely disinterested. That um, you know, there's no will to win on the field. That there's something badly missing. They look like they've they're 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 hostages. Have been asked to play football. Yeah. Um. They they look like the last place they want to be is on the field, or the last yeah. thing they want to do is win. And usually the exceptions to that are the two or three new players. Yeah. You know, where you'll see, you know, them given, and the contrast is always so to so obvious. You know, like you'll see the new players that are coming in with that enthusiasm where they really want to win, they really want to play, they're playing for the shirt, they're playing for the fans. And then you see the players that have been there for a few years and you're going, what is wrong here? Why does yeah. this cycle keep happening? Why does this keep repeating? Where, I mean, what we've seen, what we saw against Copenhagen and Galatasaray, we've seen a million times before. Yep. I mean, this is, this is not new. This oh, is, yeah. There's been so many performances where you're going, I mean, not Galatasaray performances, the same performance against Forest, the yep. same performance against Besiksi here, against Leipzig away. I mean, there's so many times you could look at that and go, I've seen this a million times before. Same thing, you know, mistakes on a level that you can't believe, that don't belong yep. on that field. I mean, the mistake for the for the Brantford goal um, still is, is hard to believe. The multiple, and you're going, I, I don't get it. I just, I do not get it. And you're going, I'm looking at United in the first half of that game. I'm going, I've never, you know, I'm maybe part of what's going on in the world is the reason for this, where I'm just you know, so depressed at the minute. But I just feel so disconnected from what I'm watching, where I'm like, kind of got it on the background. I'm looking at my phone, I'm doing this and doing this. And I'm going, I, you know, before I'd have been sitting there, I didn't want to go to the toilet until half time because I was afraid of yeah. myself. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm even not, and and I'll be honest. Like when Maguire scored, I was like, "Oh, here you go." Oh, I, and I'm going, "What's this? Why do I feel this way?" You know, yeah. like um, I just I, I don't know. I don't feel emotionally connected to what's happening on the field right now. And I, maybe like you were saying, some of that is reflective of the energy that I feel of the players. Where I'm like, you know, if they're gonna walk through this game again. You know, and and really not show like you, this is this is the first game after Pablo Charlton died. Yeah, very emotional game. If you can't get over this game, you yeah. know, and show that, you know, I this is if there's a, there's some some moments where you're obligated to play. That's one. I remember the Munich anniversary. United played City and they were terrible that game. Yeah, sometimes this happens, right? But I just feel that if you're a player, United. When you walk through the tunnels at United and you see pictures of the greats, you see best, you see law, you see target. That should put pressure on you to perform. That yeah. you should look at that and go, you know, I, I I feel like I have a responsibility to perform. You know, the history of this club is so great that when I go on the field, you know, to try to live up to the standards and the people that you know are enshrined in the identity of this football club and feel that pressure, you know, for, from from um, you know, the, for, the expectation that comes with United, but I just don't feel it. And I'm going, yeah. this is really, really concerning because, you know, I'm looking at, at that game and going, that's not a game you get confidence in going into the City game. 
No, no, quite the reverse, isn't it? And and that's the issue is there really hasn't been any stretch in this season where you say that's the thing they could kick off from. That's the thing that will take them forward. And a big part of it is mentally, for sure, they're all out. You know, when you see practically every player out of form, then you start to worry. And it's even funnier, and I say funnier, it's more like odd, when you see players like Harry Maguire be your best performers and the players who are, you know, having fantastic games, because he had a great game at the weekend too. Um, and uh, it, it's very interesting to see that because you wonder, okay, you know, is, is Maguire playing for himself now? And I'm not even saying that as an insult. Is, is he playing for his career? That's what he's playing for at this point in time. Probably, you know, given everything that's happened, he's playing for his career. And that's something at least to play for and to to be enthusiastic about and to put the effort in. But then you wonder what's going on with everybody else. So, you know, it's it's a re- it's a repeating pattern at United that happens from one manager to the next to the next. Usually, it takes a few years. It's it's kind of seems to have come a little bit quicker this season for us. Maybe it's the takeover. Maybe it's the unknowns. There's it's obviously we're going to talk quite a bit about that because there's certainly some news there. And the best guess that I could have is that there, it's a, it's an interesting situation how this takeover might have, or you know, the whole process might have impacted a lot of people through the club. Because um, very interesting how little anybody in the club knew what was going on. And in fact, in many cases, thought quite the opposite was happening than what has actually been occurring. I can certainly understand that effect in people in administrative positions yeah. where you know you're not sure what's coming next, but I don't think that's an excuse for the players on the pitch. I don't think it's an excuse for the oh yeah because to me, you know, even if there's not a takeover going on, your job's always under yeah. evaluation, and that you have to be a bit more resilient than oh this may be happening three months from now. This is going to affect how I prepare for a football game tonight. Yeah, for me with me, no, no. I, I mean, I, I who knows, you know, because yeah. we hear these excuses all the time from internal. Oh, the players are affected by this, affected by this, affected by this. You know why? Yeah. You know, I mean, but with regards to Maguire, I don't worry about Maguire against Copenhagen or Sheffield United. Yeah. I worry against Maguire against quick strikers when you're playing a high line, because I think that. He's slow on the turn and top quality strikers like the Arsenal game, you know, those types of games, those are the games, the city game at the weekend. Those are the games I worry about Maguire. Because it's obvious he's not a bad defender and he's okay in the right team. You know, I don't think he's going to get tested against Sheffield United in a way he's going to get tested at the weekend. Don't think he's going to get tested against Copenhagen in a way he's going to get tested at the weekend. Those are the games I worry about. Yeah. Uh, not just him, to be fair. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've got concerns about Varane too, uh, and and how his decline is happening. Um, but you know, one of the things I was thinking about last night was watching that game. Um, I remember times last season, around about mid March, April, going, "This United team looks really tired." Right when we really started to see the legs hit, and there was a lot of games. There was a few games where that intensity had completely dropped off and they were scraping their way through games. I think it was the Leicester game at Old Trafford 
and were United won. It was dreadful. I think uh, they scored. It was Rashford or Ganache or something scored. Remember, remember watching it March April, and this was a pattern where you would see them nick games but not look good. Bournemouth away, like there was a lot of games where they just didn't look good, where they just scraped over the line, and they've never really recovered from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, they've never really recovered from that March period where they looked really tired and they've never once yep. since then played a game where I'm like, they've controlled the game 90 minutes. Maybe the exception was uh, the Palace um, Cup game. Not far, sorry, the Palace Cup yeah. game. Where I'm like, yeah. okay, they controlled the game for about 70, 80 minutes. But outside of that, I mean, they have been really, really poor. And and and, and, and that's concerning because we're, we're in October. I mean, whatever whatever was affecting them back then should be, you know, if you're not yep. fit, start a season, not sharp, and yep. there's no reason for it right now. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, Now's the time. I mean, excuses are over here. And, and one of the things where we've been quite lucky is that the top of the table in the Premier League has been quite competitive. Um, being six points off the top, considering the season that we've watched, is something of a miracle uh, in a lot of respects because – with the type of performances we've had and the form we've had, you'd think we'd be 13 to 15 points off or something like that at this point in time. But um, there's been a, a hugely competitive with Tottenham performing very well, being difficult to beat. Arsenal have been struggling a little bit more than they have been. City dropping some points recently. It's competitive. And it is an opportunity. And last thing I want to say about all the, the playing stuff now really in, in in detail it is an opportunity for them to do something and turn it around you know every single day is a fresh start you know there's form and there's momentum and there's these kinds of things but you sometimes you can just take that all out the window and say look you know we have a we have a chance right now we have a fresh start we've, we've got three wins we've kept ourselves competitive we've kept ourselves you know there on the table I'm not talking about winning the league, but I'm just saying you can take it and say, it's not like the season's over. We don't have to act like it is, you know, we don't have to play like there's nothing to play for because there is, there's something to play for in every single competition still. And, um, and that's what I would like to see more than anything else is them looking at it with a little bit of like just a fresh approach and saying, this is it, you know, we're, we're still in all of this. So let's see what happens. I mean, what do they got to lose at this point in time? No, I know. I mean, but that attitude should have been there from day one. I know. So why? Today why, is day one, you know. <laughs> to me, I think this is really unprofessional. I mean, if any, you look at this going, these are guys that have won European Cups, won leagues. Yeah. Guys, I mean, they should be trying to psychologically convince themselves in October not to give up. Um, it's just that that is a, that would be a major concern for me with, with Tim Hogg. And, yeah, it, it is. Because you take guys, it's like, look – Casemiro has been one of our worst players this year. This is a multi champions league winner from one of the best teams in history. That that Madrid team. It's hard to, it's hard to look past things like that. It's not like it's a bunch of inexperienced, just youth, you know, losers who are like this. Mason Mount has won a champions league for Chelsea too. Well, you know, these are players who are successful. If you look at who the key players were last season, Martinez, Casemiro, Rashford. 
Martinez obviously been out. Casemiro's been miles off, and Rashford's yep. been miles off from day one. Yep. Um, United never really had the depth to be able to deal with that. Um, if either one of those three were injured, you, I mean, the difference when Casemiro wouldn't play was obvious when he was before the the, the league cup. Yeah. Um, Rashford was always one of those ones where you were concerned if he get injured because where's the goals coming from? And Martinez was always one of those ones up until he got injured against Sevilla. Where you're like anyone but him. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> those are, you know, so he has a big problem with that. Yeah. Um, in that he has no other left footed centre back. But it's not just a left footed centre back. Martinez is a really good ball player. Yeah, it's the aggression. And, it's on the ball. It's everything yeah, he brings. Table, you know, yeah. very very good defender, but also very very good at distributing the ball. Um, to be fair, one thing I will say about McGuire that has you know, and he was quite good this afternoon. But some of his distribution was really quite good. Um. Yeah. But um, and we've seen that with Danny Evans too. Uh, the, you know, to go, they go against Burnley, obviously. Um, but um, the 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 midfield is obviously a big concern because as, yeah. as much as I like Amrabat and I think he's a good player, I think the best Amrabat isn't as good as what the best Casemiro was last season. Be interested yeah. to see what Ten Hag does this weekend with Casemiro. Supposedly fit Kavi Manu played like um for the under 19s against um Copenhagen. Um, so he's close to being back. Um, yep. probably be on the bench, I would imagine, but it'll be interesting to see what he does against City. Um, we will we'll take a look at the City game in a minute. Um, but uh, before we do that, let's talk about the latest with Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Yeah, so um, I was able to obtain information that. On yesterday, Tuesday, as well as potentially the day before, uh, this was it was kind of exciting information to get this when I lined it all up because um, it, it's pretty significant type of stuff. And I think there's a lot that can be read into this. But um, the Enios team, the Enios sport team, which is primarily made up of at the highest level, uh, Jean-Claude Blanc, who's obviously former PSG executive, former executive for Juventus, super experienced in football, very uh, well-respected guy. Um, he was brought in by Ineos back in February of, of the same year while the takeover process was ongoing. I'm not saying specifically for United, but I'm also not saying it wasn't for United. And with that in mind, certainly, um, in terms of what decisions are going to be made and all of that. And uh, the other two major individuals are, you know, Sir Dave Brailsford and um, Robert Nevin, who I don't know as much about. But all three of those individuals visited Old Trafford as part of that, uh, you know, delegation with Jim Ratcliffe earlier in the year. And on Monday and Tuesday, they were present in the offices of Joe Glazer um, with Joe Glazer face to face with Jim Ratcliffe joining them for the day yesterday. I imagine they probably watched the Champions League game together because that's they were all together during that time, and, and I'm sure it was of interest. Um, but there's obviously plenty of things to discuss, uh, given everything that we've heard. The important, I think, a couple of important and key points to think with on this are number one: these are not lawyers; these are not your finance people; these are not the details guys in terms of negotiate, you know, negotiating. The tiny little points. These are sports people. 
These are the guys who are going to be making the decisions about what happens next at Manchester United once this deal goes through. And so obviously there's a few, a few implications. Um, number one, you, you could quite easily take an implication from this that the deal, which is true as far as I understand it, is more of a when rather than an if type of situation. There's there's good people reporting this as well, um, that it's simply down to drawing up all of the detailed legal stuff. And, and I want to talk about some of that as well, including that sporting committee. Um, and that uh, it's really sort of just a matter of time until it goes through officially. There's no reason why they cannot be working on the right steps for the sporting side of the club, because that is an all-year process. What happens and the decisions have to be made now for things that are going to happen in January. The decisions have to be made over the next few weeks for the things that are going to start happening in the beginning of the year. We've seen reports that Ineos, these same individuals have already been working on identifying the problems with that have been made in recruitment, even specifically naming certain things like purchasing a Casemiro for 50 million and paying him an enormous amount of money when he's nearing the tail end of his fitness career-wise, um, overspending on players like Anthony, and sure, there's plenty of others going as far back as Jim Ratcliffe before this whole process, commenting on United paying $50 million for Fred some years ago and, and that turning into a bit of a disaster at the time. And um, so they're obviously in progress working on the decisions that are going to come next. Um, I believe that one of the main areas of focus from many of these people is obviously on, on two fronts. Number one, um, Dave Brailsford is somebody who's sort of especially known in the areas of sports science and analytics and things like that, where United have been miles behind and being able to kind of leverage the knowledge and the data that he has right off the bat uh, will be something that will be helpful to the club. He's also going to be on this sporting committee with um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe and, and Joel Glazer that we'll talk about. Um, and then the other major thing is personnel. Um, I think it's highly likely that we'll see a new CEO and a new director of football. Uh, maybe not immediately, but by next summer. I think that is a, something that would, would be very likely in any sort of takeover or management transition. Executive positions are where replacements occur. And um, we can get to it in a minute, but there's some interesting things that I've heard on on that front, but uh, but I would call it a pretty significant meeting being face to face in person between, you know, essentially the four biggest people involved in this at Ineos and and Joel Glazer himself, um, who was the most involved in the in the actual running of Manchester United. Uh, so something to to think about with all of that. So it would appear that um, most likely would be Paul Mitchell would be coming in to replace um, John Murda. Um, so. I mean, first of all, is that accurate? And secondly, two, three-part question, actually. First of all, is that accurate? Secondly, what does that mean for January? If he's not going to be in place, he's still thinking that it will buy in January. And thirdly, what does that do to John Murder right now? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things in this. And, and I think that, one, is it accurate? I would say on the balance of probabilities, it's probably – Paul Mitchell's probably the most likely, but that doesn't necessarily mean – that's the most probable outcome. What I mean by that is it's not like there's two decisions and he's at 51% or something like that. All the way back in February, they were evaluating 
all of this. Uh, I, I even did a video, I think, in January of this year talking about Enios' plans, talking about Paul Mitchell, talking about some of these things. They have spoken with, with Edwards, who has his, his sort of company set up. And I do wonder that there's a possibility bringing on Edwards' sort of consulting company without or prior to making changes in personnel uh, and giving him the authority to work through this um, is one other possibility. And I'm sure there's more too. I think that, um, you know, it's a little up in the air until they get their hands in there. I think there will be an evaluation period regardless. Uh, and I think that that is known in, and that will give people like John Murdoch a chance to work on or present what they can do and what they can offer. Um, but the NLS team are already really looking at it and saying, this is all what's been done wrong. And, and my personal opinion is they're being polite in the stories that are getting out there by saying people are going to get a chance. They're going to evaluate that no decisions have been made because you don't want to, before this is all in place, start saying, you know, Richard Arnold, day one, see you later. John Marta, day one, see you later. What does that do to them? What does that do to Eric Ten Hag? It was a very close working relationship with John Murta. And um, they were, they've been very working hand in hand throughout this summer and last. And so it's going to be a complicated process. And, and there might be in, in that respect, some short-term pain uh, where it looks a little chaotic and it feels chaotic. Um, I think they're really a results-based group, you know, they're going to look at it and say, what's the best setup and kind of have to push feelings aside because especially coming in and the type of deal that they're coming in on, the only thing that will win Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos fan support, club support, and give him a leg to stand on in the future is if they get results. And that's going to be paramount to anything else. Do you, um, do you think Ineos will be busy in January? Not very. Uh, I think the issue is that there's some things that could be done. Uh, especially if you can move Jaden Sancho, which is likely uh, going to be kind of top of the list from a from a transfer perspective. But who do you get? Um, one, one, you know, there, there's obviously some things that have to be evaluated, right? Because one of the things you don't want to do, and I think that any of us don't want to do, even though it could win some people over, is you don't want to rush into spending now in the same way United have consistently um in sort of a panic mode to try to just get something through the door that doesn't work out for the long term. And you take the center back situation. Do you know how Lissandro Martinez's injury is going to play out by January and how good he's going to be or not good he's going to be when he comes back? Do you know what state he's going to be in? We don't know. So, you know, you can't really approach that position uh, yet, that, but come summer, you probably have to look at that side of it, right? And say, we might need a replacement or someone to rotate with Lissandra Martinez. On the right side, you still have Veron. You still have Maguire. I mean, the expectation of Veron and, and Casemiro's want to leave it in the season. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is then the other question is what's a, who's available, you know, given on the selling side. I mean, I you, there is truth in the idea that it is hard to buy some players in January. What I would be interested in seeing, though, is, you know <laughs> – can they line up and make some some sort of move that gets somebody in the door that isn't like 
one of these big typical United names, but has been identified. One of the advantages we might have is let's say over at Nice, they've been identifying and looking at players that are a bit more under the radar than United's have been looking at. Well, there might be some names that can come out of that. Um, and there might be situations where Nice say, well, yeah, we really like that player, but Nice aren't a club. They're in a position that are going to pay 40 million for a player, but United could. And some of the shared knowledge could be useful in, in that respect. I, I think something will happen if it's there in time, but I don't think it's going to be huge because I think they're going to really want to get it right come summer. You think United will have a cooperation agreement with Nice once all this goes through with Ratcliffe? Yeah, it's an interesting one because there's going to be differences in how they're set up um, in terms of ownership and things like that as well. Um, but yeah, I think while there is, while Jim Ratcliffe is technically a minority shareholder, it's a lot easier. United can buy players from Nice. If mm-hmm. Todibo, who is certainly a name that United like and has performed excellently for Nice, for, for nice um, this whole time, wants to come to United, they could purchase him. And it'd be a quite an easy deal. But I do think in that instance, it's one where you have to be careful because, you know, if, if, if Nice are doing really well, like they are right now, top of the league, I think, in League One, you don't want to go in and blatantly steal from your own other club in January, especially. That's one of the things with January, as I say, there might be some players there that could go to United and, and there could be something in the works there. But doing it in January could result in a few problems if you destabilize their season and, and things like that I, I think you could end up with issues and and i wouldn't really expect them any other jim ratcliffe to want to do that either all right my friend darby james mcginn what do you think i think um i really i, 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 I want each right now with young boys what's that <laughs> once i one each right now with young boys yeah at the wankdorf I, I cannot see this going well. Let's just put it that way. I can't see it going well. I, I wish I wish I could. There's been times when we've gone into City and I've thought we could do something with this. I don't know. I can't see it. I mean, it's it's at home. It's at home. They haven't um, agreed. Yeah, I was watching them against Brighton at the weekend. Yeah. And, um, and Brighton brought that game back to 2-1. And um, it's a few nervy moments. I mean, they haven't agreed either. Yeah, I know, and they, they lost to Arsenal, but, you know, City are, I mean, yeah, they've lost, what, one, two, three. They've lost three of the last six games as of right now. Um, but That's probably the worst form they've been in since you never played It probably the is. This, Yeah, I mean, this is probably the the currently the worst in so cities. At the weekend. <laughs> Let's start to raise some questions about what's going on. I know City have done this before where they don't hit form the second hard part of the season. But, um, you know, 180 young boys, they weren't – I was watching them in the Champions League before. I can't remember who they were playing. They weren't great in that game either. Um, it was one each for quite a while. Was it Leipzig we were playing? Um, yeah, and, yeah. Um, took them up and, to um, get through that game, yeah. Yeah, and um, I can't remember too many games this season where they've been really that convincing. Uh, of course, I don't want to be this weekend, but I'm just going, you know, if ever there's a city that's come on the Old Trafford, we really shouldn't fear. I mean, I think yeah. well, missing De Bruyne is big for you. This is what happens yeah. when you play United have that problem too. Um you know, if you look at the forwards, you know, obviously Holland is exceptional, but 
not quite the Holland we've seen from previous seasons. They've been lucky at times this season, like the game against Fulham. I thought they were really lucky with the, you know the goal, the, the offside goal, and all that. There. Um, yeah. But um, I think um, what I don't know. I, 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 I think the only thing I would I would say yeah is that the one thing that I would say about this that is true is every one of those losses came without Rodri in the team for them. All three of them, Rodri was missing. And he's not now. And, and you know, when, when they're missing Kevin De Bruyne already, I think missing Rodri is a, a big deal for them, um, that type of player. I mean, we could see it when we miss Casemiro on form. That deep player, that deep midfielder can be night and day and difference in how you play and, and all of that. So I don't like our chances, but it's certainly if there's a time to try and pounce on City, it would be now. It would certainly be now. This that would, would be, be it. the conference from. That would be a yeah. game where they and, and, and that's what I was saying. Like, could kickstart the season. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Why don't you take it like day one? A struggling city side that haven't been great recently. Six points off the top. Could be three if you mm -hmm. win this game. Incredible, right? Like, couldn't believe that that would be the case with how he's played. It's at home. I don't think we've lost the city at home in quite a while, actually. Or we've had some decent results against City at home over the last few years. There's no doubt about it. This would be a chance, and and that's what I would say on on it. Uh, I I think there's a chance because of that. I actually think our best game this season was against Arsenal. Um, I know the ending kind of went to crap. Martinez got injured. We had to make substitutions. Yeah, that's probably fair. Really but it was a good game. It was a good game. Good we we could have won. We were mm -hmm. that very questionable offsides. On Garnacho away from walking away with a victory. I do wonder what would have happened to this season if that had it. I know. If you had won that game. One of those moments, right? This is what I'm saying. Like, if you needed to win this weekend, I do think that could kickstart the season. Like, legitimately, that is something you build off as a result that, you know, brings confidence, it changes the yep. mood. And I also think that Arsenal win would have been that too. I think, you know, if you needed had won that game, things could be looking totally different right now, but they didn't. Yep. This is an opportunity to put it right for sure. Okay, yep. folks, go ahead and leave it there. One, one more yep. thing I wanted to mention. Um, because I, I mentioned this to you last week. I know this is something people wanted to hear about a little bit because there was oh. some some worry was this uh, sporting committee concept um, because there's obviously the news that came out from Financial Times over the weekend, obviously one of the best sources in, in the world for this type of thing, mm -hmm. and uh, was later verified with the Times and others that as part of this whole uh, incidents with Jim Ratcliffe taking over, wanting sporting control and all of that, that there was going to end up being a committee that consisted of three people, Dave Brailsford, Jim Ratcliffe, and Joel Glazer. And I and I understand there's a, a, a lot of hesitance, a lot of worry, a lot of concern about what that means, about Joel slowing down transfers, about Joel messing with the whole system, about you know all of that. And certainly I know as well, if not better than anybody, the problems that Joel Glazer has caused in the sporting side in a very literal sense and a very, like, I've seen it. Exactly what he has done that causes problems. It's not theoretical. It's literal. And um, I think that, you know, the, the, the thought that has to go into this is when you see these things kind of happening, the first thought you shouldn't have is, you know, there's some diabolical villainous plan from the Glazers, because it's actually the wrong way of looking at them. And I think sometimes people get that way where they think of them like these, these, these genius villains, while at the same time being horridly incompetent. 
And um, <laughs> you can't have it both ways. The fact of the matter is there's, and I spoke to a, a couple of people about this to, to ask about it because I wanted to be sure as well. I have my concerns. I have my things that I, that I worry about. I want this to work as well or better than anybody. Um, but when I saw that, my first thought wasn't, you know, that this was some evil plan. We, we talked about this on the podcast. How is this going to work? How do you set up an agreement where you have sporting control? And we were talking about it and saying, well, it's not like you can give Jim Ratcliffe a job, right? You don't say, okay, Jim, you're head of sports. It's a job. You can be removed from it at any time. There's no, there's nothing in that. And in corporate business, a lot of times the way this is done is via committees with votes, because those are things where you actually record them as minutes. You have as directors, you have people appointed where these things become legally binding kind of decisions and things like that. And so a sporting committee makes sense from a legal perspective. Then you have to ask the question, well, why do you have Joel Glazer on this sporting committee? And the simple answer for it is that um, it's, it's, it's similar to one of the reasons why Jim Ratcliffe's overall bid didn't go through, which is it ran into some of the legal challenges that result from minority shareholders in a business. And this is where I spoke to two a couple of corporate lawyers and people who deal with this to ask them about this and say, was this, is this the correct way of thinking about it? Without complicating it, Joel Glazer is the representative of the Glazers. He's appointed to represent their interests. He's also the majority, then the majority shareholder. He's also the chairman of the board at Manchester United. And that means he has a responsibility to all the shareholders, including all the people who own one share on the New York Stock Exchange. He has a responsibility to them. That is a very stringent legal responsibility. He cannot disconnect himself from the running of the club and not be involved in it in some way or another, whether we like it or not. And so I see it as actually a very clever move from a legal standpoint as to how you put this together, where Joel Glazer has a voice, which means he fulfills all of his duties as a majority shareholder, as a representative of the Glazer family, of the board, of all of it, without putting himself in any danger of negligence, of lawsuits, of things like that, um, while you still have always two versus one on this board for Ineos where they can make the decisions. And it's a clever way of doing it. And, um, and I think that it is that, it's not simple, but it is really that straightforward in terms of its intention. Um, Jim Ratcliffe's offer and bid very strictly, we've heard many, many times, and I'm quite sure of this, is entirely contingent on having control of the sporting side of the club. It will not go through without it. And I don't think it would be fair to consider that he's some fool that would, um, you know, allow something like this to get under his nose without realizing what was going on. And that's why these things take time. That's why these legal things take time because there's a lot of stuff that goes into considering and putting this all together. It's going to have to, bylaws are going to have to be drawn up. Resolutions on the board have to be drawn up. There's a lot of work that goes into putting something like this in, in together where it's not a handshake agreement, but it, it is a really a drawn up legal matter of how things are being done. And I think that's important. And that's why we have to be patient for, for that to happen. But I do think it's all a matter of time. And I think it's going to go the way that Jim Rackoff wants it to go. Okay. Let's see what happens. All right. Thanks for explaining that, Mip. All right, folks. Yep. Thank you very much for uh, being patient this week. Um, thanks to all of you for downloading the pod. Take care of your mental health. I know it's a tough time for everyone right now um thanks for listening and hopefully when we're back next week we're talking about a derby win oh.
take it easy folks see you in a minute bye see you later